Hey guys, welcome back to Four Eyes, the podcast series that gives you a clear view into the optometry world across Canada and the US. We are your hosts. I'm Dr. Amrit Bilku. I'm Dr. Deepon Carr. Hi, I'm Dr. Ravinder Rindava. And I'm Dr. Alex Kuhn. There was an article that was released recently that kind of talked about which works better at reducing blue light. So was it blue light glasses or the night mode on our phones? This article showed that night mode actually may be better than the blue light glasses. For those who, who haven't listened to our blue light filter episode, please check it out. That was our first episode and we got a lot of love for that episode. <laughs> we, called, we called the shots on that one because we did talk a lot about night mode, which I use. I think you use as well, right, Rav? Yeah, yeah. I, I have like a pre-setting, so at 8 p.m. it automatically turns on. Mine's at uh, 9 p.m., Oh, we're like almost synced. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's eight to eight. Mine is, oh, I think mine is from nine to nine p.m. to seven a.m. because I'm usually up by seven. Yeah. No, I don't get up <laughs> till, till 10. <laughs> so this study uh, looked at the melatonin suppression and higher melatonin means it helps with your circadian rhythm, your cycle, and helps improve the quality of the sleep. So the night mode on your phone, it reduced the melatonin suppression by 90%. Tinted blue lenses reduced by 12 to 15%, and the coated blue lenses reduced by 21 to 35%. So that's a big percentage, 90%. Yeah, it just kind of goes back to our blue light episode I think when we kind of mentioned like there's not like a one fix um, to blocking blue light so you want your sunglasses you want the blue light filters and then you can also use the night mode like there's just so many different ways that you can prevent blue light from entering your eyes so it's actually really nice to know that night mode really does help and it's not just uh, made up. So, yeah. But then, again, the blue light is only for the phone. So if you're watching um, TV or if you're on your computer, then glasses are your are better for you. Which really doesn't make sense because I wonder why laptops can't get night mode. Or I wonder if they have night mode and we just don't know. That's something we're going to have to look into now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The next topic is the iPhone slit lamp analyzer. So Dr. Faiz Magoub, the founder of Augmented Vision Labs, developed recently developed a new device called the iPhone slit lamp analyzer. So this device helps bring anterior seg imaging into the mainstream of eye care. So the device uses a 4K camera, which is basically found in all of your iPhones today, to offer high definition slit lamp imaging without the high expense of traditional imaging solutions. And this device is custom fit to the provider slit lamp. And you can use any of the mobile devices that range from your iPhone 6 all the way to iPhone 11 to ensure optimal compatibility. And so what's really great about this device is that it still allows providers to wear PPE like, you know, everyone's wearing their face shields right now and everyone's wearing their goggles, which really interferes with visibility through the slit lamp. So if you can have your phone connected to this device on your slit lamp, you're not only getting high quality images to use for educational purposes or for fun, um, but you're also just getting a great way 
to take a look at your patient's ocular health and still make sure that you're giving them the best care. And also the ISLA is a great way to enhance patient education because then you can show them pictures of their eyes in real time. Um, I know right now on their website, the retail cost is at about $700, uh, but you can go on their website and check that out for augmented vision labs and see if it's a good fit for your practice. I try, I try to take pictures now when I'm in clinic. Yeah. And oh my God, it's more challenging than it looks like. Some people, you know, you see pictures on Instagram and you're like, wow, like such good quality pictures. Yeah. And I try to take pictures and yeah, it's, they're horrible. But um, this one is really good because it um, hooks up to your slit lamp. So it's kind of like a hands-free um, device. So I think that'll really help out too. And then another another thing that we wanted to mention was earlier this month, we welcomed a new group of ODs into the optometry podcast community, the 3% podcast. So this podcast was pr- created by four ODs and friends who all graduated from Nova Southeastern College of Optometry, and they came together to provide insight into their personal journeys as young black optometrists. So, so far they have three episodes out now, which we highly recommend for everyone to listen to. And we encourage you guys to listen, understand, learn, and subscribe and show them lots of love. Alcon just released uh, their new contact lenses called the Precision One. So these are now available in Canada as of July. Yay! They are available in the States. So these are new sci-high lenses, which have UVA and UVB protection. Um, and they feature this something called uh, smart surface technology. So it's a technology that embeds a high percentage of water, so greater than 80% on the surface than in the core. So making the core highly breathable and the surface extremely moist. This decay value is 100, so it's a little bit lower than the daily's total one, but it has a higher modulus, so the handling of these lenses is much better. So toric and multifocals aren't available yet, but will be available in the future. I have actually tried these on. Um, it's the daily total one was really slippery, mm-hmm. so these ones were definitely much easier to handle, especially for somebody who's a first first time contact lens wear or has isn't used to contacts as much or mm-hmm. is an oca- occasional wear. So somebody like me, like I never w- wear contacts, and I didn't have any problem like getting the contacts in or taking them out. Um, I had them on the whole day for about eight hours and yeah, very breathable. Didn't feel them at all. Um, so, so far I was really liking this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's really exciting. So it's good to know that there's more options out there and, um, Mm -hmm. definitely the modulus is a big deal because yeah, some of these other higher DK lenses we've already mentioned before hundreds of times. I mean, they feel great once they're on, but can you get them on? That's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> or can you take them out? Or can you take them out or will you just yeah. leave them on forever? So um, so that's pretty exciting. And yeah, that's pretty much all the news that we had for you guys this week. So we'll keep you guys updated with everything going on in the optometry world again next week. Today, we're sharing our conversation with Dr. Jennifer Stewart to get a closer look into sports vision and performance training. So Dr. Stewart graduated from NECO, and while she was there, she founded the Sports and Performance Vision Club. As a very talented athlete herself, she had a passion for assisting athletes any way that she could as an optometrist. 
Throughout the years, she's had the opportunity to work with many different kinds of athletes, including athletes in the NHL, NFL, the U.S. Olympic track and field team, basketball, minor league, baseball, college athletic teams, and the Special Olympics. She's also a partner at Norwalk Eye Care in Connecticut, and she's the co-founder of Performance 2020, which is a specialty practice for sports and performance vision training. We had a lot of fun talking to Dr. Stewart about all things sports vision. So stay tuned, and we hope you guys enjoy the episode. For our listeners on Four Eyes, can you please tell us a little bit about yourself? So my name is Dr. Jennifer Stewart. I'm a 2007 graduate of New England College of Optometry. I started working right after graduation in private practices. I joined my current practice, Norwalk Eye Care, in 2008, which is crazy that I will be in my 13th year in August. Time fly. You guys all see it flies by really quickly. (laughs) Um, I started the Performance Vision Training Center in 2016 in the fall, but really open to athletes in uh, January of 2016, which also seems both yesterday and a long time ago. So I'm a lifelong athlete. I played um, a lot of sports. I did gym one track and field. I was a long jumper, triple jumper, and shot putter. Um, I've done decathlons, marathons, cycling. I am now switching gears into Olympic weightlifting. So, wow. <laughs> so always an athlete and um, just wanted to find a way to combine my love of athletics with my career. I knew early on, as I always say, I'm not a professional athlete. I will not be a professional athlete. So I wanted to find a way to combine what I do as a day job with what I love and what is just what I'm passionate about. And in general, that's sports and working with athletes. So thank you guys for having me on here. I'm really excited to be here and share sports vision with your listeners. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, That's why we knew you were the perfect person for this conversation because you have firsthand experience with what athletes go through um, with their training in order to be the best that they can. And in one of your videos, um, when we were doing some research on you, you say something that generally highlights the purpose of sports vision. You say, we think about vision being just what we see, but in sports vision, it's what we perceive. It's what we see, how we process that, and what action we, can, uh, what action we make. So can you go over from that quote, you know, what sports and performance vision training is, And how different is that from the typical vision therapy that we commonly see in the optometry world? It's a great question. I I think sports vision is a bit of a misnomer and I use it because that's what we're all familiar with. But, um, you know, the common misconception outside of optometry is vision is glasses and contact lenses. And while that's true, and I, you know, I always say that's where I start and any athlete I work with, you know, we recommend a comprehensive eye exam first. For all the athletes that could be different, for a hobby, you know, that's the puck, it's seeing the players on the ice, their reaction, a tennis player, it's judging depth and judging speed of a ball. For a figure skater, that's judging depth as well, but in a different way, judging, you know, having good balance and proprioception. And so they're all different and they're all sports vision athletes that I've worked with, but they use their vision and their body in different ways. 
Um, so it's not traditional vision therapy in the way that, that you guys have learned that you're currently doing or in your residency learning, but it uses that. And um, we use a combination of some of that people are familiar with, heart charts, Mars and balls, Brock's. We use that, but we use it in a different way. And we might incorporate that with balance, which you're probably doing as well you know, ball drills and incorporating that with some of the technology that's available as well. Some of the companies such as Aptive, NeuroTracker, FitLight, those are some of the technologies that we combine with traditional vision therapy. Um, can you tell our listeners what a typical performance training session looks like for an athlete? athlete? And like, what are some of the common goals for um, sports vision training? And like, how do you measure progress? So when we first start working with an athlete, we start with a baseline evaluation. And this evaluation we do in our facility. Um, we use a technology called Synaptic, which we use to determine 10 visual and motor skills on an athlete. We create a profile of each athlete, compare them to a database of their peers. And this allows us to see both strengths and areas of opportunities. We use that along with why they're coming to us. It, you know, like we talked about, some athletes um, they just want to improve overall. Others have a specific reason for coming. We, first, they have to have a comprehensive exam. So making sure that they're seeing well is the first role. Um, and then we use that to craft their training program. And each session looks very different for each athlete, but it has some things that you guys would be familiar with. So we use um, heart charts, we use Brock strings, we use Mars and balls, we use both the synaptic sensory station tablet and strobe glasses in training. Um, strobe glasses are really cool. They flicker on and off. So it, it kind of distracts an athlete and it blocks some of the information that they're seeing. So they have to learn to anticipate and, and react better. You might've saw that on the video. Um, we have a great video at www.perform2020.com where we've kind of put together a four minute video about what we do. And it gives, you can actually see some of the training and you'll see um, an athlete profile as well. Um, we do. We use something called fit lights, which are wireless LED lights, actually from Canada. Yay, Canada! So, <laughs> yay! Um, so, we uh, we had to get them and to go through customs and all of all the fun to get them here. So, it's a Canadian company, and also NeuroTracker, which is a Canadian company as well. Um, that is something that we use to work on multiple object tracking, focus, and concentration. So, an athlete in any training session will use probably all of the technology we have, plus the traditional vision therapy. Um, and we do it in progression, just like strength training. You wouldn't start, you know, I just started Olympic weight, weightlifting um, a couple months ago, so I wouldn't start with a really heavy weight and, and off the bat, but you progress into that. You progress with smaller skills and add, and, and we make them more complex. So when we start, it's very quiet. We have the door shut, and then maybe the next couple of sessions, we leave the door open. People are walking by, there's music, you can hear people, so it's a little distracting. And then start talking to them while they're in the middle of something really hard. I might just start talking and asking about school or what'd you do this weekend? And my goal is to distract them, just like in sports. But we make it hard and we try and make them have to think. And while they're juggling, you know, three balls standing on a BOSU ball with strobe glasses on and they're having to think of five European countries and names you know, um, and do five math problems. So it, we don't start there, but we get there and we try and make it as difficult as we can. 
Yeah. Wow. That does sound pretty tough. That's why I think Alex would have been a really good candidate for this, not <laughs> us. <laughs> it's really clear that you have so much experience with so many different types of athletes, right? But how do you learn about the specialty training needed for sports you're not familiar with? So that's exactly how I started. And you know, I did not grow up in Canada like you ladies, so I was not familiar with hockey at all. So to end up in a hockey facility, not ever knowing a thing about hockey was really challenging. And I had to learn pretty quickly the sport and to be able to talk to the parents and the coaches and the athletes and not you know, sound like I didn't know what I was doing, but to know enough about the sport. So I reached out to some friends, actually one of my first trainers, um, was the son of good friends of mine who he grew up playing hockey and they were the first ones I reached out to. And I said, you know, I, I need a crash course in hockey. So can I talk to Ben? And, and they said, he'd love to teach you about hockey. And we ended up hiring him and he was with us for over two years as a trainer. But what I, what I always tell our, our trainers and even the coaches is that we're not coaches. Um, we are not going to change anything about an athlete's skills. You know, I am not going to tell a hockey goalie how to make a save. That's not my job. I have to know enough about the sport to understand how to help them, but I'm not going to change anything. And I think that puts coaches at ease. It puts parents at ease. You know, they have a lot of, some kids have multiple coaches and they're trying to piece together what everybody said. Um, so for us, when I looked at hockey, I said, you know, I don't have to be an expert on hockey, but I have to be, I have to understand what that athlete needs. So we take each sport and we look and say, what does a hockey goalie need? What are their visual skills they need? What are the physical skills they need? And what makes them different than another sport or position? And that's what we train. You know, I think it's okay to be unfamiliar with the sport. No one expects us to be experts. Um, Sometimes my my advice is if you're nervous to start, pick one sport. You know, pick a sport you're comfortable with that you feel confident talking about. And you know, remember we're not coaches, but understanding the the visual and motor skills needed for that sport go a long way. Yeah. You kind of already went into our next question because we were going to ask, you know, who else do you need to work alongside with? Um, to develop an individualized uh, training plan for each patient. So I feel like from your answers, we've already gotten an idea that coaches are important. Obviously, the athlete themselves, um, parents. Um, and yeah, then you definitely. did mention earlier, you know, nutrition is important. So do you talk with other sort of healthcare professionals as well when you're managing this athlete? You know, athletes have this network. And again, going back to when I was, in college, I feel like we didn't have this whole group of people that were supporting athletes. Um, you know, athletic trainers are another great gatekeeper. Um, they really know their athletes well, um, and they understand the training, and they're a great go-between you know, to get into sports and performance vision. Having a reason, kind of a, a, a mutual relationship, not just send me your athletes so I can do this, but how can I help you? You know, maybe it's putting together um, an emergency triage kit for your local athletic trainer and giving them your cell phone number and saying, if you have an emergency, here's my cell phone number. Call me anytime. Because as we know, most people don't like dealing with the eyes, whether that be urgent care, primary care, athletic trainers, and having giving them the tools to have somebody to refer to 
goes a long way. Um, chiropractors are a great resource um, in our facility. We're lucky we have a chiropractor group, a physical therapy group, and a strength and conditioning group all on one floor. So I spend a lot of time speaking with them and getting them familiar with what sports vision is. Most people have no clue. So you walk in and say, I do sports vision. And they're like, uh, what is that? <laughs> I don't understand. So it takes a lot of time educating the public, educating other health professionals. That might mean having um, lunch and learns or open houses or lecturing uh, neurologists primary care, um, sports medicine doctors, other optometrists. You know, we, we always forget to, we always forget to ask our colleagues and, mm -hmm. um, you know, some of my best referrals have been from optometrists in the area who recognize that I'm doing something different, but also knowing that I will respect and, and send their patients back. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we know kind of playing sports, um, especially all the athletes are at higher risk for concussion. So does the sport training, um, division training, does it involve like concussion management and uh, treatment as well? So it depends. So I, I, there are colleagues of mine who are really, really well-versed in concussion management and feel very comfortable in the concussion space. I would say I'm not one of them. <laughs> um, where I personally fall into that is I've actually, with the chiropractor group that's next to us, they've sent me a number of athletes who have been cleared to return to play. So that's my personal comfort zone is when they are ready to go back out there, that's when I feel like I can intervene. If there are optometrists out there or students who say, you know, I love the enhancement side, but concussion itself makes me a little nervous, that's okay. You know, we can provide this level of care wherever you feel comfortable or wherever you fall in in your state's regulations. Um, so I know you already talked about uh, this a little bit, but can you tell us a little bit more about your training center performance 2020 and yeah. how do you handle managing both your private practice, Norwalk, Norwalk Eye Care and performance 2020? Like you can't be at the, uh, <laughs> at the same time, right? So how do you handle all of that? <laughs> right now I'm at neither. So, <laughs> <laughs> which is odd. Um, so I'm actually at my private practice three to four days a week. So, or well, currently zero, but in the normal world, three to four days a week, I'm involved in patient care, just like everyone else fitting contact lenses, treating dry eye, managing glaucoma, cataract co-management, doing what everyone typically does. Um, the sports vision practice, I tend to not be there as much because yes, I can't be in every, every place at the same time. Um, when we started the training, I was doing a lot of the training. So I was going over there in the evenings. I was going on my days off. I was going on the weekends and that was not our end goal. But just like in private practice, sometimes you have to step in and do everything. And you know, I was spending a lot of time doing outreach and speaking and writing emails. And But as the word got out and as we hired trainers, I did not have to be there as much. So that was, the goal was never that I was going to be there 24-7. My husband is my partner at Performance 2020. But we, we also have two young boys, so we can't be there all the time. So that's how, that's, that's my superwoman uh, strategy is not to be there all the time. Yeah. <laughs> 
but but to be able to do things like this and to be able to do podcasts and write and speak um you know i'm on the board for the international sports vision association so i was able to go to their meeting in february and speak and we're working hard to really get some outreach if if you know anyone's really interested in in sports vision i urge them to join the international sports vision association um, it's a great, great organization. Lots of really smart people. There's going to be a lot of, a lot more information that we're putting out, and the 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 meeting every year is just unbelievable. So being able to go to things like that, and for me, being able to be out there and promote the field and to get people interested and mm-hmm. to tell them it's not scary. You know, I waited for years waiting for this per- perfect blueprint of how to do it. I thought there had to be a way to do it. I can't figure it out. And there wasn't, and everyone does it differently. So, you know, taking that first step to do it, but being able to be on podcasts like this to get the word out that everyone can do it. It just takes a little hard work and passion. Yeah. Actually, transitioning right into that, um, you know, what would be your main tips for someone who wants to open up their own sports vision clinic? Um, how should they start to get the, get the things going and get experience? So, you know, I think a genuine love of sports is so important. Um, yeah, I've had people reach out to me and, and the first thing they say is, I really want to work with professional athletes and that's why they want to get into sports vision. And I go, oh, that's not how it works. Um, <laughs> you know, if you, I mean, good luck. And, you know, it takes, you know, if you can do it and that's, you know, but that shouldn't be, I think my personal opinion is that shouldn't be the main reason that you're going into this. Um you know, having our true love of sports and athletics and working with people. I mean, that's, you know, vision therapy. That's probably similar to the reason that you're doing a residency in vision therapy is that you want to help people. I mean, that's why we're optometrists, but, you know, on a different level, I wanted to do something different and be around athletic people and help them. I'm not a strength trainer. I'm not a chiropractor. I'm not a physical therapist. So how could I take the knowledge that I have. And I think optometrists really own this space and we should own this space because we understand the visual system. We understand the brain and we understand how it all works Mm -hmm. and we should be the ones doing this, but taking that and and a lot of hard work, (laughs) it doesn't happen overnight. Um, There's no right or wrong way to do it. I've worked with a number of practices. I've been consulting for a few years with people um, asking me, how do I do it? And everyone looks different. There is no practice that looks like mine. There's no practice that looks like anyone else's. So there's no right or wrong way to do it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think being flexible, being creative, being patient, realizing like with any niche, it's going to take time. It takes a lot of time to build up the, the understanding of what it is that we do. It doesn't happen overnight. And I sent out a lot of cold emails and um, when we first started, I just sent out emails to every coach I could find an email address for. I just scoured the internet for hockey coaches thinking no one is going to write me back. There is no chance, but I'll do it. And I had one coach write me back who was a former um, professional goalkeeper. Um, he played in the NHL and he wrote me back and said, I did this training when I was in the NHL. I'd love to come see what you're doing. And he came down and saw the facility and we started doing camps. Every time his um, training program would have a camp, he would invite us. We had a number of his athletes start with us. 
he had us, he did a goalie seminar, he had us present. So it just takes one person to write you back. The snowball starts to roll and you start to get people now calling you and asking you to be on podcasts and, <laughs> and, and seeing what you're doing where, you know, when you're starting out, it, it can be a lot of work. Yeah. That was, that was a lot of information. <laughs> I feel like that's really, but that's really motivating for everyone when they want to open up their own clinic, because even for us, when we started this podcast, it was really daunting for us to think, you know, we want to interview optometrists that are doing big things in the industry, but we feel like our podcast was so little and so new. So we did the same thing. We just sent out emails and, and we just took the, you know, we took the risk. We just held our breath and waited for someone to respond back. And now it's grown. And I did. Yeah. <laughs> Do you resonate it's, with what you said about, you didn't think anyone was going to respond to you yeah. and, you know, calling up people cold. A lot of people are like, well, no, I think you need connections to do that, do that or they need to know who you are. I don't think that's the case at all because just yeah, no. in our experience, that's exactly what's happening, right? You just call people and email them. And the optometry community um, seems to be very helpful and they want to mm -hmm. help everybody. So yeah, it kind of works out. In that it way. really does. You know, it is daunting to think, oh gosh, how do I start? And I think, you know, with anything like you guys are a great example, you know, it's hard to start something from scratch and, you know, you hold your breath and hope, oh gosh, I hope somebody's actually reading this. I hope it didn't <laughs> get deleted or, yeah. um, you know, for us, there, there was an athlete who in our area, the first year we opened, there was a young athlete um, in the town next to us who, you know, he was a, a hockey goalie, and he, there was an article about him in the paper, and I cut it out, and I said to my husband, this is, this is somebody that I want to work with. You know, he's um, being groomed to, you know, he's going to play D1 hockey. He's, you know, he was a, a, probably a, in ninth or 10th grade, and he was somebody that they were talking about was going to be drafted and play professionally. And you know, I said, gosh, how do we get a kid like that? You know, he's somebody I would love to have come train with us, um, you know, short of like finding where he lives and asking him to come train. You know, I said, how do we, you know, how do I, you know, this is what I want. I want kids like this. Um, in addition to all of the other kids we have, but how do I get somebody like this to come train? And, you know, I you know, kind of forgot about it. And two years later, I got an email from, from that same young, young man saying, you know, I've heard about your training. And I really would love to come train with you. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to play D1 hockey and I, you know, I'm getting ready for the draft. So can I come train with you? So it happens and, and it just takes some time and it, you know, it takes some perseverance and yeah. some, you know, blood, sweat and tears, just like with anything worth doing. So it's yeah. fun. <laughs> I feel like what you said was perfect because I think, um, when everyone has big, um, you know, big dreams and goals that they want to achieve. And I think it's specifically with sports vision, what you said earlier um, sounds quite common to me where someone who wants to do sports vision might just think, I want to work with the professionals. You know, I want to know all the celebrities. I want to work with the professional athletes. And they forget sometimes that most of the athletes are all in school. They're all these young children and young teenagers that are still in school just on their regular high school team and yeah. those are the the majority often of the patient population that you're going to be working with and you know success doesn't come overnight you know you have to you know you get a chance to work with all of these people you know day by day year after year 
And that really helps to build your success and get the future opportunities to work with, you know, um, professionals and someone that you were always dreaming of working with. Right. But it definitely takes a lot more passion, a lot more work, and it definitely does not happen overnight. And you know, the, the kids that we've worked with, I think some of the stories and the, the feedback we've had and you know, what we've seen working with our youth athletes have just been amazing. You know, for them, it can be life-changing. And you know, the feedback from their teachers about their focus and attention in school and from their parents about how they are more confident and how they carry themselves is different. And you know, I, I think everyone wanting to work with the professional to have the picture of them with their arm around them. You know, I think of all the kids that have come through our door, all of the relationships I've made, all of the friends I've made and the parents that we've gotten to know and the the referrals back to Norwalk Eye Care. You know, every every athlete has a parent, a sibling maybe, or a friend. I mean, the number of referrals for exams I get and contact lenses and glasses that come from these athletes you know, feeds back into my other practice. So it really is a win-win to work with these youth athletes. Like I said, an athlete to me is anyone who moves their body. It doesn't matter if you're a professional. It's, you know, we've worked with ages six, which is a little on the young side, to, you know, we have a, a shooter who is in his 80s. So I've had the opportunity to work with all ages, all sports, all positions, all skill levels, and, you know, working with the young athletes is just as rewarding to me as it is working with the professionals. So I know you kind of mentioned a little bit earlier that a lot of the therapy is a worse free space. Um, what about somebody who's like in a private practice? Um, can you like tell us more about what do they need to think about the layout of the practice in terms of how can they provide space for the athletes to move around um, and train? You know, being creative, um, you know, I've had um, some clients who used a lane and, you know, where they might not be able to do the ball drills that we're doing, but they have access to standing, you know, as far away from a heart chart as possible and being able to, you know, have balls coming in from their peripheral vision while they're reading a heart chart. Um, you know, there's practices that are way bigger than mine. You know, there's some some great sports vision practices that are double or triple the size of mine. But there's other colleagues of mine who um, have shared space. So they have they are in a strength and conditioning facility and they have access to you know the gym floor and they can bring out their equipment and they can work with teams and groups where you know, somebody in a lane might only be able to do one-on-one -on -one. and we've mm -hmm. had you know we in our space could work with up to six or eight people eight gets a little tight but using what you have and incorporating you know either some vision therapy or some sports and agility work you know we we have all the the, the tools so we have agility ladders we have um, every kind of ball you can imagine tennis balls squash balls reaction mm -hmm. balls um, bosu balls balance boards yeah everything you could think of so you can make anything more complex even in a small space by adding balance by adding cognitive challenges mm -hmm. by adding some ball toss or juggling so somebody in a small space might not be able to have somebody moving around but they can certainly add a bosu ball and have them juggle while they're doing it and you can get some effect there so for this kind of specialty is there any insurance coverage or is are the athletes mainly paying out of pocket Ah, uh, good question. So for for what we're doing, it's cash pay. So it is not in it is not vision therapy. There are no codes. Um, it is 
cash pay. So it can be, you know, a different type of niche. That's a, that's a great question. That's one that comes up a lot. And even parents ask, you know, is, is this reimbursable? And for us, the answer is no, it's similar. We priced ourselves according, you know, to what some of the strength trainers are pricing at, but we think of it as, you know, strength and conditioning more so than traditional vision therapy. Okay. Yeah. You just mentioned um, you compared your prices to a strength training price. Um, is is that what you would recommend for other people to consider if they're not sure how to price their sessions? It depends. You know, it depends on the area and just kind of getting a sense of, um, you know, pricing in areas. It could be similar to vision therapy. You know, everyone's different and it could be different in different parts of the country. Um, but you know, it, it might be similar to what you're charging in your office um, for exams. It depends on, you know, the length of the session, how many athletes, how often they're coming in. So there's a lot of different ways to structure that. You know, group training certainly will be less costly for the athlete. You know, the, the groups that are, you know, if somebody's working with a team, obviously that's going to be a lot less per athlete than it would be one-on-one. Yeah. Um, so I know you touched on this a little bit before as well, but um, how has COVID-19 affected um, the sports <laughs> training for your athletes? And are you implementing telehealth therapy right now? So good question. As everything has shut down, uh, you know, access to our facility is shut down too. We're inside a hockey rink. So, I mean, that's closed. Every business in that in our facility is closed. Our you know, primary care office is closed. So as of this point, completely shut down across the board. Um, we're not doing traditional tele. Well, in, in my optometry practice, we're doing telemedicine. Um, right now, we're not really doing that with the athletes. We're looking into it, but as of this point, this is a uh, kind of an odd time. But yeah, my private private practice, yes, we're doing telemedicine. Yeah, hopefully they're getting outside. And same thing, you know, if they're outside playing their sport, that's helping too. Um, We've been very fortunate. We've had great athletes and parents who are are motivated. But um, you know, I always say that our training is done as part of a whole package. So you can't just stop doing everything and do our training and expect to improve. I mean, no one's ever going to think that. But you know, for now, you know, I'm hoping that my athletes are out there and, and working on skills and conditioning and rest and recovery and proper nutrition, the things that we should all be doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, Dr. Stewart, you have answered all of our questions <laughs> on sports vision. I feel like there are a hundred more things that we could talk about with sports vision and performance training, um, but you pretty much covered a lot. And thank you again so much for spending this hour talking to us about it. Um, I, hopefully this is a lot of new information for our listeners and this mm-hmm. might encourage some of our listeners to pursue their optometric career in sports vision as well. Absolutely. You feel free. Anyone can look at our website, Performance 2020. And, you know, I, I encourage them to you know, reach out and join organizations such as ISVA is a great one, International Sports Vision Association. Yeah. Huge wealth of knowledge and some really, really smart people. Yeah. And come um, to the meeting. I'll be there February of 2021. I hope that everything will be back to normal. So we just squeaked in our meeting before everything fell apart. So I hope to see some people at the meeting in 2021. <laughs> and I'm also presenting at hopefully in November at the Optometric Management Symposium in November in Orlando. I'll be doing four hours on sports and performance vision. 
hopefully yeah, the world yeah. is back to normal then. So if anyone's at that meeting, I will have two two-hour lectures on sports and performance vision yeah. as well. Well, um, it was, I do have a random question for you, though, since uh, yeah. we're talking about hockey. Are you officially a hockey fan now? And if you are, what's your favorite <laughs> hockey team? <laughs> I, <laughs> well, I, I will say based on where I live, it has to be the Rangers. So, <laughs> and, and based on the athletes we've worked with, they were Rangers. So that, that's the extent of my hockey knowledge. Um, the facility that we actually work in, the strength and conditioning facility that um, is next to us is well known in the hockey world. Um, and during the off season, which usually starts about now, um, there are hundreds, maybe not hundreds, but lots and loads of professional hockey players that train there in the off season. And I don't know who they are. Um, so it's funny to me that, you know, my athletes will run out and go to the bathroom and come back and they're like, Oh my God, so-and-so was changing in the locker room. And I'm like, I don't know who that is. You know, I should know. And I started to know, you know, being like, you know, our third summer, I was starting to recognize some of the, the people. I mean, obviously I know that they are, they're, they're fit and they're huge. Um, and, but, you know, they're not wearing masks. So, you know, but I'd start to know who they are. Um, but the kids would like come up to train and they'd see these people and my son, my kids are, um, seven and four and, you know, once in a while in the summer, we'll go over there and, you know, if there's no athletes, we're doing something, we'll bring my older son. And he was sitting down on the couch one day watching, you know, all these guys train and they're coming up and high-fiving him. And there's an NFL player there too. And they're all coming over to talk to him. Like, you know, I don't know exactly who they are. I know that they're <laughs> NHL players, but uh, I think this kid's so lucky. You know, he has no idea, but they're all just coming over yeah. to talk to him. And um, you but, don't so want to bring, I, I, uh, be careful bringing deep on to your practice because she'll, she'll <laughs> come to the NHL players. So I would be the one going like, "Oh my god!" Uh, <laughs> and Alex, oh my god, <laughs> Alex would die. Yeah, Alex would die. So I, I was a good person to be there because I really did not know who they were. You know, I'm like, I don't know. I, they were all very, very nice. And they'd pop yeah. in and, and come in and talk. And then a number of them, you know, after being there a few summers, after they, you know, the first summer, they're all like, uh, I don't know what you do. And then yeah. they would pop in or, you know, I was even able to treat a few of them had some, you know, some injuries, not hockey injuries, but some issues while they were training. And so they come to meet my private practice. So um, it was fun and being around so many of the Rangers and people who have supported the Rangers, you know, I would say, I guess I will say I was a Rangers fan. Well, now you have to start watching the Calgary Flames. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and then the Toronto Maple Leafs for us. <laughs> uh, once it's all back on, I have a lot of work to do. Thank you to everyone for listening to Four Eyes. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating to give us feedback on how we're doing. You can also check us out on Instagram at Four Eyes Optum for more content. Look out for new episodes every Wednesday. So until then, stay tuned.